Welcome to Podagogies, a learning and teaching podcast. I'm Curtis Maloli. And I'm Chelsea Jones. We're recording from our homes in Toronto, Ontario, Canada, on Treaty 13 territory of the Mississaugas of the Credit First Nation, and also in the Dish with One Spoon territory. Joining us today are two faculty members who received a learning and teaching grant to explore new ways to do graduate supervision. Over the past year, Dr. Yukari Seko and Asma Malik have been developing a community of practice with seven other graduate supervisors to explore what they call a solution-focused approach to graduate supervision that better meets the needs and academic development of graduate students. Yukari Seko is assistant professor at the School of Professional Communication at XU. Welcome, Yukari. Hi, thank you so much for having us. And Asma Malik is an associate professor and interim co-chair and former graduate program director in the School of Journalism. Welcome, Asma. Thanks so much. Happy to be here. Yukari, Asma, this question is for you both. What made you stop and think that it's time to change up our usual methods of graduate supervision? Maybe I can go first. I think there are two things that motivated me. First thing was the scarcity of training and resources for faculty members who supervise non-clinical research students compared to the rich body of training dedicated to classroom teaching and also clinical supervision. You'd be actually surprised how little training is available for faculty members who mentor students' research at the graduate level. Literature indicates that the lack of shared evidence-based models in effective research supervisions may force some supervisors to apply, quote-unquote, a patchwork of styles and techniques informed by their limited personal experience as supervisees and their disciplinary practices. So I personally felt that we need a training and a community of like-minded individuals to better support graduate students in their journey in academia. The second motivator was the growing diversity of graduate student bodies at our university and across Canada. Over, let's say, the last few decades, I'd say, Canadian higher education students have become much more diverse in terms of age, ethnic and cultural backgrounds, nationalities, maybe gender and sexual orientations, religious backgrounds, physical and cognitive abilities, just to name a few. With the growing diversity on campus, it becomes vital for universities to create an inclusive and equitable learning environment for graduate students, particularly for those coming in traditionally underrepresented backgrounds and who reportedly experienced difficulties of fitting in with the university culture. It comes to my heart because I myself came to Canada as an international graduate student to whom English is a second language. I was very lucky to have a great mentors who supported me throughout my journey in academia, but I also heard like sad stories from peer international students who ended up quitting their education because of financial, mental health, and many other reasons. So when I come to this university as a faculty member, I really wanted to explore ways to improve student-supervisor relationship and better support graduate students from diverse backgrounds, as well as faculty members who genuinely wish to support these graduate students, but do not know how. Yeah, that's my motivations. So for me, a big part of my motivation to explore the relationship between graduate supervisors and students 
came from my own experiences as graduate program director at the school here at the School of Journalism. What I was finding was that, you know, this patchwork that Yukari refers to, this patchwork of experience that, you know, supervisors bring to their style, their approach to supervision, can, it can be so far removed from the lived experiences, the professional experiences of graduate students, that there was this huge gap. And um, there was a real need for, you know, um, looking at how, how we could fill it, really. And I think Yukari's point about, um, you know, paying attention to how diverse our student body, our graduate student body has become, and our faculty doesn't quite reflect our um, our student body in the ways that it should. To me, this it, it really meant that we really need to take a closer look at that relationship. And supervision is so critical because it's a professional relationship, but it's also a personal relationship. So how do we, you know, how can we break it down and how can we give um, supervisors the tools to better understand where students are coming from and also understand that students they have been successful and, you know, they, they have a track record which brought them to graduate education. And what was it that they relied on the strengths within themselves and how can supervisors better support them? I had the privilege of being able to participate in your community of practice. I was grateful to get that invitation. And when I got the invitation and it said solution-focused graduate supervision, um, you know, that sounds, it sounds like a good idea to be solution-focused, <laughs> but I, I don't think I had any idea what I was really um, getting involved with. And I, and I was so impressed by the impact of the approaches that were explored in this community of practice. Could you maybe describe for us what is solution-focused graduate supervision? Yeah, for sure. Solution-focused approach basically is a set of strength-based communication techniques that intends to shift the focus from a problem to multiple solutions. And the important thing is to make the best use of their own strengths and resources. When we put this into the graduate supervision context, this approach is fundamentally student-centered and can be tailored to the individual student goal. If I'm going to give you a little bit of historical perspective, solution-focused approach stemmed originally from the philosophy of solution-focused brief therapy, originated at the Brief Family Therapy Center in the Milwaukee back in the 1980s. And what is it exactly SF outside of clinical context has been a subject of ongoing discussion because there can be many definitions and there are many adaptations of this approach to the field of therapy, but also coaching. How I learned about this approach is that since 2017, I had the privilege of researching the effectiveness of SF training for rehabilitation practitioners at the Holland Broadview Kids Rehabilitation Hospital where I am still affiliated as an adjunct scientist. Solution Focus was introduced as professional development to enhance culturally sensitive family-centered care. And I interviewed many of them and some clinicians found SF as liberating because the techniques would help them build a rapport with clients, but also develop care plans based on clients' personal resources and hopes. Clients take ownership of their care plans rather than professionals telling them what to do. So I feel like, you know, it's actually the great approach to the education. And me and a research assistant, Parky Lau, at the PhD program here at this university in psychology, we recently published a scoping review paper on higher education research and development to map out the use of SF in higher education. 
We found 17 papers in which SF was used to improve relationship between educators and students, enhance students' engagement and self-efficacy, also increase students' sense of hope. So this is like how I feel like, okay, maybe this is a good approach to try out in the graduate supervision. If it works in client and clinician's relationship, which also involves some power imbalance, similar to the professor and the student relationship, why not bring it into the higher education context? Yeah, I love that. And Asma, I mean, how did, how did you connect with Yukari? I was very happy to connect with Yukari because... Um, Two years ago, um, I received a grant. I guess it, it, it's sort of a grant, but I became the scholar in residence um, focusing on graduate supervision. Um, and this was part of the Center for Excellence in Learning and Teaching and um, the Yates School of Graduate Studies, like a joint program. And I was looking at empathy and expectations within the relationship between a supervisor and a student. To be perfectly honest, I was kind of floundering a bit because I was also a graduate program director. I was also trying to solve some problems one-on-one and, you know, it didn't quite get the momentum right away that I was looking for. But Yukari, one day, back when you could come into someone's office, Yukari came into my office and I met her for the first time. And she was telling me about this grant that she was applying for and how I was just so happy to see how much of what she was doing really overlapped with what I was looking for. And I was trying to figure out an approach in which we could talk to supervisors and students and really figure out, you know, what the needs are. And she was already doing it. So it was kind of one of those, you know, you put my chocolate in my peanut butter or whatever, you put your chocolate in my peanut butter kind of situations where it was like all, it all came together really well. We actually have an example um, of some of what you're describing as you're telling us about this solution focused approach, because one of the things that you did with your community of practice is you produced some videos. So we have an audio clip from one of those videos that offers us a glimpse into um, what what you mean by solution focused graduate supervision. Uh, Can you set us up? Can you tell us what we're about to hear? Um, so we did a needs assessment survey with students and supervisors, asking them about what the challenges were and what they were looking for in either a supervisor or supervisee, like what kind of qualities they were looking for. And after that, we did follow up with interviews with students and supervisors. And then from that, we were able to identify some key themes that came up in that experience. Um, as well as we were able to create, along with the help of um, the live action simulation at at Ryerson Laser, uh, which is the group that does live action simulation, and they're amazing. Catherine Turner was the one who helped us with this, and together, using this data that we had, we came up with three different uh, composite graduate students. Um, Yukari, if you want to add anything and then set up who the student is. Sure. So what you're going to listen to is a conversation between Alicia, who played as a role of supervisor, who is going to have a conversation with actor, who played the role of a master's student, first year master's student in professional communication department. And she has a struggle, how to write a master's research paper. That's a conversation between the supervisors and the student who come to ask for help. Let's take a listen. Like I really do feel like I am starting to lose focus because through this research, there's just so, there's a lot of information. And then like, oh, there's 
this is so interesting. And then like, three hours later, somehow I wind up <laughs> like, I don't know, on a different web page that I had to do with something totally different. I mean, why now am I on a web page about Olivia Coleman? Like, I don't. <laughs> yeah. And so instead of losing focus, what do you want to be noticing about yourself that tells you that you're on, on, in a good position? I just, at this point, I just wish somebody would just tell me what to do. I think I'm just feeling right now, like overwhelmed, frustrated with myself. Yeah. Yeah. It's tough to feel that way, right? When you're in the middle of something like this, tough to feel overwhelmed and frustrated. I'm curious again about like what you would want to be noticing about yourself that would tell you like, at least you're moving in the right direction. Maybe not quite in the position that you wanted to be, but at least moving towards the place, moving towards that position. I guess it's like, I am doing the research. Okay. Like, that, that is a good position to be in, to have the research. Yeah. Absolutely, um, yeah. So that's good. Yeah. There's a lot going on here. So do you want to, do one of you want to kind of just sort of first tell us what, like what you hear when you're, when you're seeing this? Yeah, I'm happy to. But actually, Curtis, since you were in the community of practice, I'm curious to hear from you. When you first, you know, I knew you were part of this and the simulations were part of our conversations. I'm curious to hear when you first heard this for the first time, what stuck out to you? <laughs> well, you know, it's a couple of things, actually. When I've worked with graduate students, I remember being a graduate student. I remember how difficult it was. I remember the struggles that I had. And, and I think that I my first instinct is always to be really empathetic and to like, to try to, to try to say, look, I really, I hear you. I feel you. And, and you see that in this clip, uh, Alicia does do that. Um, but then she's really purposefully not getting too focused there. And she's really purposefully trying to move the student towards, you know uh, you know, what would success look like, or what might be something that would make you feel like you were on the right track. And, and I remember, I think the eureka moment for me in working with both of you in the community of practice was a conversation we had where you said, you know, there's a difference between empathy and compassion. Uh, and I don't know if you want to kind of speak to that in this context, in that clip, but I, that was a, that was really important to me as we were talking about supervision. Yeah, the difference between compassion and empathy is definitely a eureka moment to me as well. So in this clip, Alicia's supervisor quickly validate the feeling. It's tough to feel that way, right? When you're in the middle of something like this, it's tough. But she did not ask, how are you feeling? Or why are you, ask, are you feeling that way? Avoiding, avoid asking why, avoid asking how you feel about it. Actually, that helps supervisors not to open the can of worms and just like trapped in emotional struggle students may have experienced. The important thing or tenets of solution focus is that the, maybe there is the solution may not be related to the problem. In order to have a solution, in order to reach to the solution, you don't have to dig deeper into what's wrong. Instead, Alicia demonstrated very beautifully how to quickly shift the focus from problem to solution. So she asked, instead of losing focus, what do you want to be noticing yourself, right? I remember distinctly some of the other supervisors in the room at first when, I mean, this, not this clip in particular, but at first feeling like this was a bit cold, like, you know, like I would always want to start by like, you know, not just acknowledging, but like really working with the student. And so in terms of the ways that we can reframe that without losing empathy, 
I just want to pick up on what you just said there, Curtis, because at the same time that other people were saying, you know, I don't want to be cold, I don't want to leave, person hanging with their problems, they also expressed how exhausting and how difficult it was because they couldn't be the ones to obviously solve the problem for the student. So unpacking that took so much time and energy away from the focus on the student and what the student, you know, wanted to accomplish. So I, and, and then, you know, Alicia is really an expert in how she, how she does this, but the beauty of what she says is, you know, what do you want to be noticing about yourself? You know, really reminding the student that they have the tools, they have done this in the past, what kinds of things, you know, they have had these feelings of actually being on track and being successful and how can they connect with them and reminding them to be self-aware and to be able to connect with things that they have done in the past. So when we talk about a supervisor feeling exhausted, that's not our work, that's the student's work. So it's really being able to recognize that as a supervisor as well. I really appreciate what you're mentioning about what supervisors can take from this and what supervisors can recognize because, you know, I'm a new faculty member. I'm starting to supervise people. I haven't had years and years of experience of this. And so when I listened to that clip and when I saw some of the other videos that you produced, there were a few things I noticed. And, and some of it was, you know, meeting students where they're at and that blend of the professional and personal that you mentioned earlier, but also the work establishing boundaries and establishing focus that allows the supervisor to support the student in situating the knowledge and then figuring out how to sort of propel it or how, or how to work with it. So making space for the student to, to think forward, right? Like meeting them where, where they're at and then thinking forward from there. And, you know, earlier you mentioned that part of the motivation for this work was to get past that kind of patchwork informed practice and moving into something a little bit more directed. And so I'm just wondering if you can comment, I mean, based on the clip that we just heard, what would be some takeaways for people who are maybe new to supervision or people who hear that and think, gosh, like I wish I could change the way I supervise to do it, to do it like that or to do it in a different way. One of the maxims of our community of practice is that we are not the syllabist, right? Empathy is such a tricky term. We want it to be emphasized, but if you really want to emphasize, it takes time, a long time and energy. I started this position two years ago, so I'm still learning a lot. We really have to think about how we can maximize the time that we meet with students. And Chelsea, you mentioned it's how we wanted to meet where students are at and set up the boundaries so that we can maximize the benefits of a meeting. And I mentioned that the solution focus coming from brief therapy tradition. You know, the magic of therapy happens actually between the meetings, not in the meeting, but between the meetings. So in this clip, Basically, at the end of the conversation, students realize that she has already done some research. That is a moment when the hope gets activated within her. Oh, I realize it. I actually have done a lot. This spark, right? Spark of hopeful thinking is the way Alicia, the supervisor, planted the seed of hope that helped the students sustain and move on. We are not the therapists, but we are supervisors in a very important relationship with graduate students. Then we don't have to solve the problem within one hour meeting. Instead, maybe we should try to help them to solve the problem within 
next two weeks or one month until we have another meeting. You both really emphasized at the outset, you know, the importance of creating a more equitable form of supervision. Yukari, you used the word emancipatory when you were speaking earlier. Part of what this presumes, which is, I think, the right thing to presume, is that, you know, we have to give graduate students agency to to lead their journey. And, you know, we want to move away from that kind of more paternalistic form of supervision. But I know when I was a graduate student, there were moments where I was definitely lying to myself about all kinds of things. You know, I wonder sometimes, like, if someone had done this with me, would I have, like, I might have just said what I wanted the supervisor to think because I wanted them to like me or to be impressed by me or whatever it might be. Um, and I might not have been able to move myself in the right direction if I was lying to myself. I don't know if this comes up or if that's something that uh, you guys have talked about as part of this. But when I say that, what comes to mind? I, I mean, I, I get it. My approach up until this point, since I've been actually critically thinking about how I supervise students, has been very much like, you know, are you okay? You know, you're doing the things that we said you're going to do. Okay, great. Like, you know. And I'm very familiar with what happens when students are, you know, trying to please me rather than actually being like, you know, uh, being good to their project and actually doing the work that they need to do for themselves. So I think that in this approach, I mean, I would hope that even in this clip that we just heard, Elena is kind of doing a lot of talking through figuring things out and Alicia is guiding her. There's still, of course, a possibility for that to happen. But I think intentional listening is such a big part of the role that Alicia, you know, takes on in that particular clip, but also in using in the SF approach that if you're doing a lot of talking, you can really talk yourself into a corner or talk about things and then realize you're really not saying anything. If the other person is just listening and prompting you, you kind of are only cheating yourself at the end of the day in that kind of situation. I think maybe that would be apparent sooner um, rather than, you know, waiting for me or your supervisor to say, good, check, 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 you know, like the checks are for you. So maybe that would be more evident. Yukari, Asma, before we close and go off into the world and continue supervising, is there anything else that you'd like to add or anything that you want to um, offer listeners as a takeaway? One of the big things that we really want to do is continue working with the community of practice and being able to support each other and expand the group. Like with Alicia as a, as a uh, practitioner and a therapist, there are things that are coming from a therapeutic approach. To echo Yukari's point, we're not therapists. So how do we take these principles and these approaches and adapt them for graduate supervision? And to me, that's something that we need to constantly be working on. And I think being able to support each other as supervisors is critical because I think a lot of the value that we got from this project came from those conversations where we were able to talk about our own experiences, how we use these approaches in our own conversations with students. So it's really important that this is not something that we can take on the road as like, here, you know, here, here's what you do. You know, this is something that um, we're going to keep engaging with as the community builds, the practice will build. So yeah, and Yukari, yeah. you, I know uh, the group was really eager to start producing some resources for graduate supervisors to be like, you know, some prompts or like in the sessions that we did, we would practice with the actors and it was so easy to fall back into those bad habits. So what are some of your hopes for, for what will happen next? I'd love to continue and expand community of practice with colleagues across campus and maybe beyond. It was a great opportunity for us to connect and find the solutions together. And it's pretty innovative to, you know, 
come together with faculty members from totally different disciplines than ours. And we learn so much from this interdisciplinary conversation. We say that we, didn't, we need a village to raise a child, that we really need a village to raise a good graduate student. And all graduate students who come to our university were exceptionally talented and have a huge potential. I hope our project will be the first tiny step and I'd love to have a community practice like popping up across campus everywhere. And I really hope that we as supervisors can be more confident in how to optimally support our future generations of academics and researchers. What you've put together is really incredible. And, and for our listeners that don't know as well, I mean, you've also been facilitating workshops for graduate students about how to have good dialogue with their supervisors. And I love that kind of complimentary approach, right? You're working with the supervisors, you're empowering graduate students to be thinking about what to ask and how to ask it and how to move forward. So, so much potential here. I know you're publishing about it, right? Is there there's a paper coming out? There's a couple, yeah. <laughs> All right, so stay tuned. Yukari, Seko, uh, Asma Malik, thank you both so much. I know our listeners will be looking for that research and, and looking to hear more. We really appreciate you uh, being with us today. Thank you so much. I wanted to give a shout out to our research assistants. I know that um, Yukari um, mentioned Parky Lau, um, who is a PhD student in psychology and from journalism, um, just graduate, newly minted master's grad, uh, Danielle Neri. They were instrumental, not only in terms of helping facilitate the research, but really offering insights from their own experience into the development of the project. Don't want to awesome. forget them. Thanks, Asma. And we have some thank yous as well. We want to thank the Center for Excellence in Learning and Teaching for funding this podcast. And a big thank you to the people behind the scenes who produced this episode with us, production support specialist Chloe Hazard and instructional technologist Sally Goldberg-Powell. You can listen to Podagogies on Spotify, iTunes, and SoundCloud. We hope that you'll consider subscribing and joining our ongoing conversation. 